Are you ready for another food heist? Ooh, I am so ready. There's another food heist. This one is actually an old story. It's in the news now because there's a Netflix series coming out that actually by the time this airs might be out called Heist. And it's a series, like an anthology series, where they will take two or three episodes and kind of do little mini documentaries about real world heists. And one of them is a very famous food heist of Happy Van Winkle bourbon. Happy Van Winkle. Happy Van Winkle. Happy Van Winkle. Yeah, which okay. I always confuse with the guy in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, but that's Pappy O'Daniels. This is Pappy Van Winkle bourbon, which is very expensive, very fancy bourbon, you know, as most bourbon tends to be. And somebody stole a whole ton of it. An actual ton this time, or is it 21 tons? I, I don't or? actually know by weight how much bourbon they stole, but it was a lot. And it is part of this documentary series. And so if you love food heists as much as me, go watch it. And it's like on Netflix, you said? Yeah, it's a Netflix series called okay. Heist. Heist. And I'm sure the other episodes will be cool too, but the one about the food is is the exciting one. Have you watched it? You no, because not, not out yet, yet. at okay. time of recording. I think we want a report from Dan after you watch after this. After I've watched yeah. it, if I will you let you know if it is uh, as good as it is in my dreams. All right. Well, today on this episode of Brandon is Wrong on the Internet, <laughs> we had just this last week, our episode, the last two weeks, were our episodes on underrated films yes that came out and there were lots of comments in the comment sections about these we appreciate you guys adam which one in this latest podcast which one of us turned out to have worse taste it's me isn't it he put in the poll who has worse taste well yeah but the poll just barely went up like yes. this morning so yeah it, it could. That, and that one's going to be in the comments so i i would actually have to tabulate that one so oh. next week might be a better time when more people have been able oh to that one's in the comments that when you they can't vote on it well, I do the titles in the poll. And you and can't attach can't multiple questions. You and in, okay. uh, in the actual podcast, you said... Man, someday, like computer know. technology will advance to the point where we can attach two polls. Two, two polls, two questions to the to same social episode. media post. All right, all right. So we don't know who has worse taste yet. I think clearly I have worse taste. Oh, because yeah? I, I read hate that Baby Driver. <laughs> I read that comment section, and everyone was talking about how great a movie Mom and Dad Save the World is. And there were not, let's say, many comments about my weird uh, Odenkirk dub movie. Yeah, you did not have many, if any, defenders of uh -huh. Kung Pao. On mm -hmm. the other hand, you do have a lot of defenders who love Speed Racer. Yes, well, so. there is that. I mean, you know, that's just an objective so that's fact still that Speed Racer is awesome. Up in the air. Kung Pao is the one that I know is my bad taste. But <laughs> this is going to be even better because you know how last week you talked about how you don't like to complain about things on the internet and you like to be, you yeah, know. Yeah, I like to be generally positive and mm. lift things up. Yes. And today we're going to talk about movies that Brandon doesn't think mm. deserve their Rotten Tomato scores <laughs> that are high. You think that they are not nearly as good as Rotten Tomatoes thinks they are. Yeah. And, and that's these are comparisons, yeah. I assume, specifically to the critic score, not the audience. Critic score. score. Yes. And let's okay. do a couple of caveats here. Okay. First off, we use Rotten Tomatoes just because it is a good aggregate score. Rotten Tomatoes certainly has its flaws. And one of the big flaws of Rotten Tomatoes is that in a lot of the ways, like the same way that actually sometimes happens with the Hugo Awards, my editor explained this to me, like if a lot of people like a thing okay, it without will get, loving it. without loving it, it will still get a high Rotten Tomatoes score and it actually has a better chance because of the way the Hugos work of winning a Hugo. Then if 
half the people love it as their favorite thing and half of them hate it. And the same thing on Rotten Tomatoes. In that case, that movie gets a score of 50%. And yet the half that really like it, really, really, really like it. And the half mm. that don't like it, really don't. And yeah. so that is one of the problems with this. But I have picked movies that I think in general, it seems that people like way more than I like. Okay. And one of them might be a very popular decision. I think that the other five, because I actually had six, are not going to be very All popular right. decisions. All well, right. Well, let's hear them. Yeah. I actually... Well, no, no. I have caveat number two. Oh, so you have you another call... caveat? And then I'll give caveat number two. Well, I was just going to say, I can't guarantee that we will have a second episode on this topic where Dan gripes about movies he hates. Because again, I like liking things. I don't mm -hmm. know how negative I want to get, except about Baby Driver, which is dumb. So caveat number two is about, I generally don't rant about things I dislike also. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you go to my Goodreads page, it is all five-star reviews. Yeah. And the reason for this being that, particularly in the book world, authors do not need me trashing their book, yeah. right? If I don't like a book, I just probably won't finish it. Like, I'm not a professional critic. Let the professionals' critics have that. Having Brandon with my status in the field come out against a sci-fi fantasy book it gives undue weight to my opinion by the amount of audience and fandom that I have. Yeah. It unfairly treats a new writer mm -hmm. by lending that weight behind my dislike. Yeah. I don't have that fear with movies, right? Because my voice is tiny in the movie community. And if you come out and poop all over a movie, yeah. it's not going to hurt it. And the other thing is that I, I kind of wanted to say is like some people who work on some of these films are people I know, right? <laughs> so I don't want to trash them. Yeah. I want to say, I just do not think this piece of art turned out. And that happens. My friends write art where I'm like, I just didn't like that. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. We don't talk about it much. We won't talk about it much on this podcast. Because again, with books, we don't want to be like, oh, here's the worst book that, you know, such and such. Here's the worst arc of this comic by a friend that makes comics. It's not useful. There's, but there's no point to that. People did ask for this. And I thought, you know, I think it's interesting to talk about. And so theoretically, this will send us down some interesting lanes of not just griping about things, but <laughs> just talking about. Awesome. Okay. And so the first one I picked, I picked specifically so we can talk a little bit more about the nature of criticism. Because number six, Ooh. overrated movie on my list. Snow White. No, wait, Snow White from Disney? Yes. It's what not is that good. What's wrong with you? It's not that good. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's a marvelous what? technical achievement for its time. So the question is, how many points do you give something for being a marvelous technological achievement for its time when it compares, in my opinion, unfavorably to the other Disney movies that came out after it? Oh, man. Well, now I just want to rank Disney princess movies. Yes. Like, I would put Snow White probably last place. On Worse my than Sleeping Beauty? Yeah. Sleeping Beauty's got a dragon. Yeah, but it's dumb. <laughs> it's got, a, it's got an no. awesome villain. Okay. So does Snow White. No, that's she's, she's not fantastic. That she is the most evil, straight up evil villain that's ever been in a Disney princess movie. Mm, yeah, okay. Maybe Jafar beats her. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, okay. I mean, the voice of Snow White drives me up the wall. I just cannot take it, right? It is... Yeah, I won't argue with that one. Like, just can't take it. The dwarves are kind of annoying, right? They're not. They're yeah, cute. they are. The thing mm. about Snow White is that it is the first yes. feature-length animation mm -hmm. ever, and so yes. it is constructed as a series of shorts yes. strung together into a narrative. And I will grant you 
that narrative technology has advanced yes. significantly mm -hmm. since then. I don't think that's a knock against the movie, okay, and so I still enjoy it. Here's the discussion. How many points do you give to that? Like, when I watched Citizen Kane, mm -hmm. I was still blown away by the narrative, the filmmaking, the shots, and the storytelling. Yeah. When I watched Snow White, I'm like, well, this was really good for the first one. I never want to watch this again. Oh no! Put no. on you. You can find just as much filmmaking prowess in that as you can in Citizen Kane. It's like, just all done the, better the everywhere. The way else. that they structured everything, the way that they did the cute little stuff, the structure works. is kind of boring. <laughs> it just is. What kind of protagonist is Snow White? She's useless. She is useless, but so was Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, and so okay. was Alice in Wonderland. So was I mean, most of the early. Disney then stuff. I'm going to rank most of those lower than the ones where they're not, right? <laughs> like, I like the Disney Renaissance princesses a lot more. Well, I mean, Disney Renaissance includes Ariel, who is, I would argue, oh. just as useless no, as Snow she's White. No, she's not. She's not, though. She doesn't ever really protag for herself. She protags a ton. She makes decisions. She goes and does things. She doesn't solve her own problem in the end. What, because Eric drives a spear? Because Eric the is the one that does it. Well, yes, that's an, I mean, she tries. She protags, she fails. Eh. Yes. Maybe. I mean, actually, you need to watch Lindsay Ellis's Little Mermaid essay. I she think I've seen it. defends actually. Little Mermaid quite well, more than I would, because Little Mermaid is the weakest. Of, <laughs> man, here's a tangent. Is Little Mermaid worse than Hunchback of Notre Dame? No. Okay. Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm -hmm. for my money, is the best score, the best collection of songs okay. for a Disney movie. I wouldn't argue that it's bad, yeah. so... That's uh, mostly because it's Stephen Schwartz just mm -hmm. hitting it out of the friggin' park. Hunchback of Notre Dame is the most daring of them. Yeah. It's also, at the same time, the most pandering. Yes. And that's the big problem with it. It is wow. trying to be daring while it is also trying yep. to toe the line and be as traditional and acceptable as possible. If it hadn't done that, it would be a great film. As it is, I think it's a bit of a disaster. Parts of it are yeah. awesome. You talk about an evil villain. Yeah. The thing I love about Hunchback is that the stage version of it mm -hmm. gets rid of all the stupid stuff Man, and is by all accounts brilliant and emotional and powerful without the nonsense that they kind Jason of Alexander, into right? the thing. Like, yeah, he I mean, ruins that film so much I mean, for me. I, I wouldn't put it on his shoulders no, no, it's not because his it's all three of the gargoyles, but... It's the casting choice, right? And the writing choice. It's definitely not that Jason yeah. Alexander is bad mm -hmm. at what he does. They hired Jason Alexander to be Jason Alexander in that film, and he delivered a good performance yeah. as Jason Alexander. I mean, really, they hired Jason Alexander in that film to be... Nathan, what's his name in Lion King? They wanted yes. Timon and Pumbaa. Yep. Nathan, I mean, everyone knows this guy. Yeah, from he's one producers. of the most famous yes, Nathan... actors of all time. Nathan Fillion. No, Nathan... <laughs> different Nathan. Nathan Lane? Nathan Lane. Did I say Nathan Lane? No, you got Dang Hale. It. Yeah. Okay. Nathan Lane. They wanted anyway. Nathan Lane, or they wanted from Hercules. Oh, the little Danny DeVito. They wanted that. Oh, like, yeah. right? that's, mm -hmm. that's They wanted that role. And yeah. then they picked a story to put him into, which has too many real world analogs and deep, yeah. powerful themes that you need to deal with 
a villain who is essentially a clergyman wrestling with his forbidden love and lust over a minority woman who is being oppressed by society while a disfigured person with disabilities is... And on the one hand, you can absolutely 100% understand the executive's decision to be like, this is too dark. Mm-hmm. Let's add some funny to it. Yep. And that, on that the other really hand, worked in the the Black Cauldron. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, I mean, to the extent yeah. that anything worked in the Black Cauldron. Um. On the other hand, if if that you was just want something for kids, you shouldn't have done Hunchback in the first place. Like yes. it was a horrific choice from the get go. Hunchback is one of my favorite novels, and there's not a single happy thing in that entire story and in fact a faithful adaptation has never been made because they always try to give it a happy ending yep whether they have esmeralda end up with you know the captain or with the thief or with the hunchback or she just goes off and is happy on her own they're always trying to give it something happy the ending of the book is that somebody finds in a mass grave her skeleton and a hunchback skeleton hugging her because he crawled in there after she was hung and starved to death. Like, it's a Yay! dark story. <laughs> and no one has ever had the guts to, you know, do it straight. So but, you heard it here. Dan wants you to make a straight adaptation of Hunchback. 100%. Yeah. If somebody makes agree. a faithful to the book adaptation mm-hmm. of Hunchback of Notre Dame, I will lend you whatever artistic or social power i have to make that happen but let me put you on the spot here then okay would you rank snow white above every other disney animated film because it is on rotten tomatoes ranked above every other yes. disney animated film none of the others made the top 100 and snow white is really? like in the top 10 no and that is the nostalgia and the history factors bumping it up i do think that it is without question a monumental masterpiece of cinema Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I do have to admit, plenty of other Disney princess movies have been better. I would say Tangled and Moana, off the top of my head, are both better movies. I love Tangled. I actually wrote half of a video essay or a whole video essay on Tangled and didn't actually release it because we were waiting for this other one to come out. I actually think I wrote the whole thing. Yeah, we'll have to look at it. I wrote a video essay on how awesome Tangled is. I would probably put Tangled as my very favorite Disney princess movie, although I would say Moana is my favorite Disney princess if that is a meaningful distinction I can make. Okay, yeah, you can. I mean, Moana has such good music. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the first Disney film since the Renaissance that I have downloaded the music and just listened to it. Lin-Manuel really? Miranda is just amazing, and oh. I See, really like and it. And that surprises me because the big love song Entangled is one of my favorite Disney songs ever. All right, are we ready to move on from I this I guess tragedy? we'll move on. You're still wrong. I think that's probably... The most controversial That's the most one. controversial. So, so before we move on, I'm mm-hmm. going to ask, because I think I agree that it is mm-hmm. not, you know, yeah. the absolute like 100% or whatever right. it is on Rotten Tomatoes. Where would you put it? Where would I put it? So the question is, do I remove, if this came out today in the theaters, mm-hmm. no other context, and it came out right now, I don't know, I'd probably 50%. Like, I probably wouldn't enjoy going to it. It's not a tragedy like, you know, the Emoji movie or something. (laughs) But, like, 
am I going to sit in this movie with my children? Are they going to enjoy it? Am I going to enjoy this? And we're going to go there for whatever runtime it is. It's probably not even fully 90 minutes. No, I guess like an hour. And are we just going to be bored out of our skulls and have this shrill voice in our ears and be like, why does the music sound so bad? If, and, if Snow White were released today without yeah. any context, mm-hmm. it is the voice of Snow White that would kill it. Like and more I think than anything else. If you release Citizen Kane right now today, it would still be acclaimed as a great film. You think? With no other context, yeah. I sincerely think that. Probably because it's in black and white and critics love that. Yes, they do love that. <laughs> the lighthouse proves that, but yeah. All right. Okay, so let's move on. Let's see what other bad opinions you have. Is going to be controversial, but not on the same level. Number five, what about Bob? No, I'll totally agree. That's not a good movie. 84%. Yeah. On Rotten it Tomatoes. It does not deserve wow. an 84%. I hate the movie. Now, part of my hate is emotional, mm-hmm. right? Now, if we take the emotional aspect out, I still think it's kind of a mediocre film. The part that pushes me down is I cannot watch that film and empathize with Bill Murray. I have to be, oh, I had his name in my mouth just a second ago before I said Bill Murray. Uh, it is Richard Dreyfus. I have Dreyfus. to be Richard Dreyfus in that film. I watched that film about a home invasion, essentially, by this con artist turning a man mad and taking his family away from him. And it is horrifying, and the film is playing it for laughs. Yeah. Now, on that regard, it is a piece of art that's provoked a powerful emotional response to me. And I bet if the filmmakers were here, they'd be like, we expected some people to have that response. And that is part of the art we're creating. And in that case, good job, right? Yeah. You have created a Freddie Got Fingered style piece <laughs> of discomforting art that is nauseating to watch. Mm-hmm. And good on you. I do not like this film. I don't like the entire genre. Mm-hmm. Stuff like Freddie got fingered or meet the parents. Yep. Anything, you know, even the office I could never get into because it just relies on annoying people being annoying. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the office is more about kind of taking awkwardness to an artistic level rather than annoyance, but I I don't have time for that. One thing that I always try to teach when I am teaching, you know, writing classes is nobody has to read your book. No one's going to read it just because you wrote it, except maybe your mom, everybody else. You have to give them a reason to invite these characters into your head. And what about Bob simply doesn't have a reason outside of, yay, Bill Murray, I'll give this a shot. No, you make it 10 or 20 minutes into the movie before you're just, I don't want him in my head anymore. I was forced to watch it through all the way once by like a force meaning I was in a social setting and it's like walking out would have been awkward. But every (laughs) other time someone has said, give it another try. I last like, yeah, like you said, 15, yeah. 20 minutes. I'm like, I just cannot take this. Can we turn this off and do something else? I am aggressively uncomfortable for this poor other character and want nothing more to do with this film. Yeah. The one redeeming feature of it is, I mean, Richard Dreyfus does a good job as the straight man, and he's mm-hmm. always likable in everything he's in. Bill Murray, you want to love it because you love Bill Murray. Yep. Every other movie he's made, including the bad ones like Meatballs, those are still better than What About Bob? Bill Murray is an an interesting kind of case study, right? Like cultivating this air of jerkiness Mm -hmm. that makes him lovable as a person, which is kind of weird because I wonder if, number one, that's a product of its time. Can you still cultivate an air of jerkiness 
and have people be like, oh, he's such a lovable jerk. Because everyone knows Bill Murray, like on the set of Ghostbusters, he's like, no, you can't put that puff stuff on me. And he's like, you can put a little bit in my hair, which is why in the scene, maybe this is apocryphal, but you know, this yeah. is the image that he's cultivated for himself, mm -hmm. right? You see Dan Aykroyd there just swimming in the stuff. And next to him is Bill Murray, who's barely been touched because he just doesn't want to put the crap on. And then the second movie, he's like, no, I'm not wearing a stupid costume. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear my day clothes. Mm -hmm. And he's walking around in, you know, normal clothes when the rest are in their ghost-busting outfits because he just isn't yeah. going to do it. Well, see, I've always assumed that's apocryphal because he gets fully and totally slimed halfway through the movie. Yes. And so he's clearly not averse to being abused yes. a little bit by yes. the production design. I think it was just a really funny joke that they're all completely slathered in marshmallow cream and then he's the last one as and it revealed. is great like all of these things enhance it yeah. and my knowledge of these behind the things like all the stories and again this is probably cultivated right but mm -hmm. to get bill murray to do something listen to the stories that producers tell in hollywood he has like a voicemail system that you don't know if he's going to check your job is to call offer him a project and then wait and if he wants to do it he will show up Right. Like a lot of times they'll say we cast Bill Murray in this. And then we had to see if he actually showed up at set because mm -hmm. you never know if Bill is actually going to show up or not. Yeah. And so many stories about him hating this film or just liking working on this film or being well, difficult to work part with. Part of that I really admire because, you know, now that he is old enough and famous enough that he can get away with that kind of garbage. He is picking some really weird stuff to involve himself in. For the last 20 years. And that's he's basically, doing, you yeah. know, sometimes he'll do a big thing like Zombieland, and then mm -hmm. sometimes he'll do like some kid's student film. Yeah. Just because he finds it interesting or fun. I think that's kind of neat. There's some story about how he did the Garfield films because of some mistake in a contract or something. And again, I think this is all an error, but this is the same sort of error that like Harlan Ellison had in the science fiction community. And it eventually just blew up on him because his behavior was just not okay. He um, was legitimately horrible yes, to he a was. lot of people. But um, that was like the selling point, right? He's yeah. mean. Therefore, you know, it's his persona and he played it up and it became part of it. And it was like, it was a thing I feel like you could do in a different era. And maybe you still can. You can be known as the curmudgeonly mean one and... You know, people will there love you for definitely it. YouTubers who are famous for being jerks. That's true. But I don't know if they're lovable jerks. Yeah. And that might just be a generational gap where kids these days in their YouTube videos. I don't know. I will say Bill Murray, as you said, I've never seen a bad performance. Anytime he's on screen, I'm acknowledging that he's good at what he's doing, even though I absolutely hate this movie. <laughs> what about Bob? All right, number four, or uh, number, wait, we're counting up from six. Counting five, up four. from six, yeah. okay. Number four. So wait, when we get to number num one, is that going to be the most, the this one you is think the one deserves? that I dislike the most, right? Okay. So okay. Snow White, like, I'm, maybe I, maybe I was a little too much, and like, I think it deserves a 50. It probably doesn't, right? Because I will accept historical context. I don't think it's better than every other Disney animated film ever made. I don't think it deserves a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, but in historical context, it does. I mean, right? not to rehash Snow White again, but I do need to say it is visually gorgeous. It is. The style, it the is kind pretty. of old German cottage yeah. look, they hit that one out of the and park. And it's pretty amazing they nailed that with the first try, Yeah, right? That it has a unique visual style. Like, 
a lot of the stuff that I'll say about Snow White, I'm like, for a first try, this is a 98% movie, right? <laughs> for a first try. Yeah, it's it's amazing <laughs> they did as well as they did on the first try. It's amazing yeah. the full-length feature film isn't Steamboat Willie, but 60 minutes of whistling mm. and things like that. Instead, it does have a narrative, and instead, it is a film. Now I want to see the 90-minute Steamboat Willie. Yeah. So, and what about Bob? It is low on the list, which means it's good because I acknowledge they were trying to do this to me. And that artistic decision was a deliberate one. It's a very good example of the art that it's making. I don't think it deserves an 84%. I think, you know, a very good is probably too strong. It is an example that works of what Mm -hmm. they're trying to do. You know, I did a huge blog of Babylon 5. Uh huh. Because I never watched Babylon 5 when it first came out, even though I would have been like right target audience for it. And for whatever reason, never watched it. And I don't know why. So a couple of years ago, I decided I'm going to watch Babylon 5 and I'm going to make a blog as I watch it and, you know, write down my thoughts about every episode. Yep. And I made it up through about halfway through season four, which is, you know, really where it goes off the rails. Yep. Before I finally gave up. And the reason was I could tell. This is something that is very good, and it is what it is trying to be, and it's just not for me. And I think that's kind of where both of us probably are with What About Bob. Yeah. Because there may are not people deserve who love to be. it for yeah. what it is. It's just not us. It might not deserve to be on this list. It, it might deserve its score just for the people, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to make discussion. Uh, though number four breaks my heart. Mm. Actually, the rest of these all break my heart. Number four breaks my heart the most. All right. Well, let's hear it. Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2 was so bad. It was really bad. (laughs) It's a 93%. It was number 72 on the list that I pulled up that had kind of normalized the rating. So 100% with five reviews did not get the number one spot. The number of ratings that a thing had influences where it falls on the list, Mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of indie films that have five ratings that are at 100% at the top. And so some of mine aren't on that list. That's just where I started. But it's number 72, according to Rotten Tomatoes, whatever algorithm, best movie of all time. Incredibles Um, 2? Yes. But it's so bad. The story is incoherent. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hold together. It falls into ridiculous cliches like The Bumbling Father. Long after the point where he has already figured out how to do everything that he's suddenly bad at. Yes. And just nothing about it works. There's... Yeah, those... Cli- like, the cliches were part of what really bothered me, right? Yeah. Character regression. Taking them and... You have to have new conflicts for a sequel. I mm-hmm. get it. But they basically told the first story again worse with a with a swap of the characters. And they made Mr. Incredible bumbling. They didn't seem to have any idea what type of story they wanted to tell despite having the same basic structure mm-hmm. as the first one. It was so bad. It yeah. breaks my heart because I really like Brad Bird. He made my favorite Pixar film, which we've talked about, Ratatouille. Haven't we? See, yeah. No, I don't think we've talked about that yeah. because Ratatouille is one of the worst Pixar movies oh, it's ever. my favorite. It's uh, so dumb. I love it's worse it. than Incredibles 2. It's worse than Incredibles it's 2? It's worse than Cars 2. No. How can you say Ratatouille is worse than those two? Because it's so bad. It's What's so bad about bad. it? It has one good scene, and it's just the guy at the end reading his review. 
That scene is genius. That scene is genius. And it's better than that scene where he takes the bite and is zoomed into his childhood is genius. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that scene. It's two scenes. I consider that all the same okay. scene. That is genius. The guy having to cook with a rat pulling his hair is legitimately great physical comedy. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's just... We couldn't figure out what movie to do this year, so how about let's do something with a rat? It is about a a person who is passionate about something, explaining their passion in an excellent way, and the message is great because a lot of times we talk about this message. This is a good message. We say you can do whatever you want to, and we're lying. I did a whole video essay on this. (laughs) You can't do whatever you want to. Raw personal talent plays a big role in doing a lot of things and you know how you were born if you're not above a certain height you're not going to be playing professional basketball you can't Mm -hmm. do whatever you want to do and this movie is saying you can't do whatever you want to do but a person who can do anything can come from any walk of life and that is a really great nuanced take on the you can do anything yeah but Uh let's go back to ebert doesn't matter what a movie's about it matters how it's about it yeah. You can have the best moral ever, and that doesn't make it a good movie. Yeah, but if the moral comes out to me, and it never beats you over the head with it, and the moral kind of as you're watching you like, I get this. I understand the message just on its own. That's good filmmaking. The fact that I like the scene where, what's his name? Um, it's not Fettuccine, the kid. When Linguini and Remy are communicating, but they can't talk and you understand, oh, we see here that rats can understand human language, but rats can't speak it without ever saying that with the scene where the rat doesn't speak is brilliant filmmaking. It's show don't tell. And it's done really, really well. That is really good. Janine Garofalo is a wonderful actor. She does a mm-hmm. smashingly good job in that. And I love her. Who, who is she? Is she the, the, the Sorry to be chef? rude, but we are French. Is just such a such oh, a great yeah. line. It, it, it is makes a me smile. astonishing to me. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to believe that you mm-hmm. like Ratatouille, because I know mm-hmm. a lot of people love Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. You're all wrong, but I know that it happens. Uh-huh. It's astonishing to me that it would be your favorite Pixar movie. It's great. Because I dislike it so much. There's nothing wrong with that movie. I'll tell you, I do Mm -hmm. like that one better than Up, though. Oh, well, that's interesting. Also, I really like Up. Up is another one. It's got one good scene, and it's the first 15 minutes, and everything after that is so so boring. Here's the thing. The first 15 minutes are better than the rest of the film. I think we talked about this. We probably They legit are better than the rest of the film, but... There's lots of great stuff in that film. So I disagree with you there. We, we could rant on this forever. We'll have to do Pixar films thing. We should. But Incredibles 2, we both Incredibles agree. Incredibles 2. Weak film by an excellent filmmaker. Do you hate The Iron Giant? Do you uh, have no soul? I actually soul? really love The Iron okay. Giant. Okay. Well, you do like good Brad Bird films yeah. then in some, in, in at oh, least no. one Well, case. in the first Incredibles is, yes. is fantastic. The thing about Incredibles 2 is that you know instantly mm-hmm. how bad it's going to be. Because it starts with the, at least when I saw it in yeah. the theater, the voice actors came yeah, out. Coming on and apologizing. And they're like, hey, we've been wanting to do this for like 12 years, and now we finally got a chance to. And I'm thinking, every little kid in the audience could not possibly care less about who you are, or yeah. how old you are, or how long you've wanted to finally make this late sequel. It's it, a bad the idea. fact that they Baffling. thought that that was a 
good thing to put at the front of their movie shows that they simply did not know I what kind of movie they were making. Not watch the rest of the movie without being reminded that the actors have aged 15 years or yeah. 12 years more than the characters. And that was just stuck in my head because mm -hmm. you don't have the voice actors come on stage before the characters because you will cement in your head the actor instead of the character. One of the geniuses of animation is that they disappear into the role. And, you know, it's part of the problem with some of the early DreamWorks films is they didn't. And yeah, well, and I don't want to say that that little live action introduction mm. ruined the movie for me. Mm -hmm. I just think it is emblematic of the fact that they made a vast string of poor decisions while making that movie. All right. All right. We agree on that one, even though I am baffled by your dislike of the cute rat making pasta. Let's go on to number three, another heartbreaking one, Indiana Jones and the King of the Crystal Skull or whatever it's called. Yeah. This is at 77%, so it's not like super high, but this is just a bad film. Eh, it's, oh? it's not as bad as I think people say it is. It's definitely the weakest one. I mean, there, yeah. there's no question there. And it mm -hmm. definitely has a lot of really stupid stuff in it. Mm -hmm. I am not going to argue. And so I agree with Would you. Would you put it at a 77%? 77? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I might. Yeah. That, that still feels high. Honestly, I'm surprised it's that high because everyone hated it when it came out. I I'm, think that they liked it, but then it wore off. I remember watching that film and disliking it the whole time. Now, I did not have that experience with the prequels, the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. I remember at least the first one going to it and coming up and being like, yeah, it was pretty good, right, guys? That mm -hmm. was fun. That was action-packed and things like that. We went to that together. Yeah, we did. Uh, I, I remember camped out like 24 hours for tickets. Yes. I remember playing cards in the line. <laughs> I remember played magic in the line at trolley corners. Yes. In Salt Lake City. But I remember coming out of this one being like, oh, no, it was bad. It was bad. It was so bad. And just feeling yeah. sick that it was the thing is there are bits of it that i really like yeah um, what are the kate, bits you like kate blanchett i think is great in everything okay and yes. her as evil soviet like sorceress totally worked for me yeah yeah seeing the... marion again made me happy i agree with that there were even bits of shia labeouf and he got a lot of flack for like yeah. you're no harrison ford of course he's not harrison ford now uh, but there he were bits of him that, that kind of worked for me so there is in my opinion there's one brilliant scene and that's a scene where Harrison Ford and him, Indiana Jones and Mutt, are at, at dinner and they're trying, like, he's trying to get a drink and Harrison Ford keeps stealing it from him back and forth. There's a lot of. Is that in the diner? Yeah, in the diner. There's a yeah. lot of nuance mm -hmm. in the scene. There's a lot of really good acting. They're playing off of each other. It's not a, you know, an over the top action scene and it just works. And it's like Spielberg being what I love yeah. about Spielberg. Well, and the scene immediately following that is a motorcycle chase, which yes. is the best action scene in the show, I think. Yes, it is. Do a motorcycle yep. chase through whatever university he works yes. in. Much better than he sword fights monkeys while standing <laughs> between two jeeps going through the jungle. Yes. Which was painfully bad. It was. The decision to make Mutt both a greaser and a prep school yep. dude with like fencing background was clearly terrible. However, my main defense of Crystal Skull, and I'm still, let's mm -hmm. be clear, I'm not saying it's a good movie. Okay. I'm just saying it's better than people give it credit for. So many people hate the aliens in it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm. Because one of the oldest, oldest, like the instant that European settlers showed up in the New World and started uncovering all this stuff, they were already 
hundreds of years ago talking about aliens. Aliens as an explanation for pyramids has been around forever. All of this stuff is not just weird crap that Spielberg pulled out of his butt. It's real conspiracy theories that exist all over. And I really enjoyed seeing that brought out. I was okay with the Cold War setting as an update Mm -hmm. to talk about some good things about the film. It was hard, though, because we have been socially and morally acclimatized to the idea of Nazis as disposable bad guys that you do not have to feel bad killing, right? And I'm kind of on board for this, right? It is hard for me to accept the Russians in the same way, having Mm -hmm. grown up during the Cold War, and even during the Cold War, seeing how overly scared we were of people who were too similar to us to really fear. Like, that's the theme of the Cold War, is we are much more similar than we are different, despite a single ideological difference. And it's hard for me to accept mustache-twirling communists in the same way I can accept mustache-twirling Nazis. Yeah, well, and also, when you take the Nazis and the Jewish artifacts away, the entire moral core of the story falls out. Yes. And it no longer has a theme anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. they could have gone for some kind of Red Scare theme. They mm-hmm. could have gone for something about identity. They kind of leaned into this a little bit because there's two or three like double, triple crosses yep. where the guy you thought was your friend is actually a mm-hmm. communist, who's actually your friend is actually... They could have leaned into that more and found a theme that worked, and they didn't. Yep. And that's definitely missing from it. And this is just a much smaller thing. But the fridge really bothered me at the beginning. Like, <laughs> it's endemic, like you said, of The Incredibles, that starting off on the wrong foot was mm-hmm. just a sign. That was a sign for me. Indiana Jones does ridiculous things. But if you look back at, like, Indiana Jones, the, the first one, like, what makes it work in part is that you don't stop believing he could do this, right? Yeah. It feels very grounded, for how ridiculous it is. And Indiana Jones remaining grounded when crazy stuff is happening around him is part of what made those films work. He's taking it very seriously. And when he gets blown up and thrown a mile by a a nuke and then stumbles out of it, he's like, whoa, that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, Well, stumbles out and then runs off. Yeah. Because he doesn't need recovery time. Yes. I'm going to put up the truck scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark as... The single greatest action scene of all time. Okay. Didn't you already have a single greatest action scene? Yeah, and it was this one. Okay. It's the Mm -hmm. truck. And that one works because, as you say, it's grounded. It's clearly superhuman. Mm -hmm. But it feels real because he has to work for it. Yep. He gets punched. He gets knocked off of things. It is hard. He is Mm -hmm. fallible. And the biggest problem with the fridge is that he is not. Yep. He's now invincible. That thing can kill Indiana Jones. Oh, well. And plus, as I recall, I've only seen the movie, you know, once and then clips. No Gimli. I was no. waiting for Gimli and no, I, I got no that's Gimli. That's why they've got the, mm-hmm. the Scottish dude They've got like a replacement Gimli. And I'm like, uh, John Rice davies No, 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 no. I want my John Rice davies You can bring back Marion, yeah. you know. One of my favorite lines from film of all time is he gets lost in his own museum, which is so <laughs> metaphorically powerful and potent that I love it. And yeah, all right. That's a little thing too. 
Yeah. All right, we're to my top two. Okay. My top two. Let's, let's hear it. I'm going to give you number two, and then I'm going to have you, after we talk about it, try to guess number one. Try to guess number yeah. one. Number two, because I should have mentioned before, I'm not going with Oscar winners and things on this. Mm -hmm. I think we may do sometime where it's like the really snooty high-class films that maybe got too much. But I, I looked through like the Oscar winners, and all the ones I've seen that like won, I'm like, yeah, that might not be quite as good as the other one, but it's still a really good movie, right? Yeah. It was hard to be like, oh, this one has a 94, but deserves a 90. And <laughs> this other film, you know, it's like Shakespeare in Love. Did Shakespeare yeah. in Love deserve to win? We can talk about it in another podcast. Maybe not, but it's a good film. Mm -hmm. Like, that is not a bad film, so, at yeah. least in my opinion. So, I'm doing blockbusters this okay. time, if you couldn't All right, tell. here we go. All right. Magical Beasts and Where to Find Magical. Them. See, I haven't even seen this one. 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie is terrible. You know what? I don't have a lot to say about this, mm -hmm. and it's in large part because I actually didn't like most of the Harry Potter movies. Mm. I got as far as halfway through four okay. and realized, yep, these are not for me. Which and is I've totally seen fine. clips of five, mm -hmm. and I've seen trailers for the rest of them. And so by the time we got to Magical Beasts and Where to Find Them, I was long done with the Harry Potter cinematic universe. So I am fond of all the Harry Potter films. I think three is an actively good film. Yes. I think one and two are bad, but what they needed to be bad, if this makes sense. Like, I don't know that I would go and change them because they needed to play it really safe with these, I mm -hmm. felt like. But they're bad as adaptations because they film the book scene by scene and they don't take a lot of risks. Yeah. And three is where the books got too big to be able to take those risks, and you end up with the best film of the lot, in my opinion. Well, and the best director, which yes. I think more than anything else is why yes. that works. Yes, that makes a big difference. But Harry Potter films have a lot going for them beyond that. The casting was great. Casting was phenomenal. The Finding, production design yeah. was incredible. Finding three kid actors who all really solidly nailed their roles at their ages and mm -hmm. then just grew up into being pretty good actors. like. Yeah. That I, is, I wish we that saw more Rupert Grint in the world yes. because yes. he's the one who doesn't have the career the other ones have. Right, and he might be the best actor of the three. I think he might be right. But, well, but, I don't know. Yeah, Radcliffe is he is good, genuinely great. Well, I mean, they're all good. They're all good yeah. actors. They did do Ron dirty. That's a running theme in the movies that Harry Potter fans have pointed out, and I only noticed once some bigger Harry Potter fans than me pointed out if you watch the films they give a lot of the best lines that he had to other characters mm -hmm. and basically turn him into comic relief and the bumbling sidekick which you know they do yeah. run a bit dirty but all in all i like the films i like the later ones too three is my favorite but i think four through seven and eight <laughs> have their things to recommend them and the only ones i think that are weak are one and two but then we get to fantastic beasts and fantastic beasts so I can count on the fingers of one hand the number of films that I've just stopped watching Okay. when I had paid for it, right, and things. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not counting. I'm flipping through the channels, and I land on something yeah. and, then, and then leave. I'm talking about movies that I go actively to see and then just leave. So did you walk out of a theater? So it was a home theater. Buy it on Prime yeah, and then it was a stop home theater. watching it. Emily and I were both watching it, and... We got about a half hour in and we looked at each other and we're like, this is just dreadful. Can we do anything else? So we just turned it off. It's interesting because, again, I think the actor nailed the part. I think that the part was just written this very is the poorly. the kid. 
No, like. the Fantastic Beast is about a monster hunter, essentially. Yeah. But a good monster. He keeps, you know, he keeps these little pets and things. And he's an adult. He's not a kid. I'm 44. I call him a kid. Okay. He's the one who was in, like, the theory of everything. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 He does a very good job. And I think he is playing it and written uh, to be on the autism spectrum and doing a very good, subtle job of that and things like this. But the movie is boring. Just terribly boring. The pacing is dreadful. And the worst sin of all is it removes the art and whimsy from the Harry Potter universe. Mm. Like, it's so dull. Everything is flat. The scenes are shot in this flat, boring way. And they might be arguing that they're doing it because then the little monster things, they'll be like sneaking out of his bag or something like that will be more on screen. But New York feels empty. It feels like lifeless. And it almost feels like they're doing it intentionally. Like, here's the magical wizarding world full of life and wonder. And here's dull, mundane world of just washed out colors. But the whole movie is taking place in the mundane world of washed out colors. The sound mixing is weird. It just feels flat huh. and odd to me. Nothing feels alive on screen ever. And I mean, the worst thing is it's just horribly poorly written. Yeah. J.K. Rowling broke the script. And she's not a screenwriter. She did a dreadful job. It's really, really, really boring. See, so. and this is a case where you're punching up. Like, yes. we're not going to mm -hmm. bash other authors. We're not going to bash you, but... We can bash the best-selling author in the entire world. We the can. The one time she writes a bad thing. Right. And the thing about it is that I can see so easily how you would do this, because I consider myself a pretty good writer. I could see being like, well, I'm going to write the screenplay myself. And this is like a warning call. Like... <laughs> I often use the metaphor, like, I am pretty good at writing epic fantasy books. I think that writing a screenplay might be like a famous basketball player deciding to play baseball. And this is, I think, what happened with J.K. Rowling. Like, she can write in the minor leagues when it comes to a yeah. screenplay. And I, you know, don't know that I could do a better job than her. But you don't have to be able to do a better job than someone to criticize. That's not exactly. a valid yeah. argument against criticism. And if you can like something without yeah. being able to do it yourself, you can also dislike something without being able to do it yourself. And I think we can stop because you haven't read it, but I think this movie is just, it's baffling. No. Everything about it felt like mm -hmm. a shameless cash grab from the beginning. Mm. And so it doesn't surprise me at all. And I should say it didn't surprise me when it came out and everyone hated mm -hmm. it because... Did they though? It had a 77%. It got 77? a sequel. Yeah. It did well enough to get a sequel. Yeah, I mean, frankly, you could, you know, poop in a Harry Potter-themed bucket and mm -hmm. sell enough copies of it to get a sequel. I know. Um, people say the sequel is worse. I didn't get through the first film. <laughs> I can't fathom this having a 78% because, like I said, it's just a misfire. And can you guess number one? I don't know if I can guess number one because your be list has been so bizarre so far yeah. because you've got movies on it I've never seen. You've mm -hmm. got one of the most beloved movies of all time. <laughs> yes, it does. I do. So I'm not even going okay, to you don't have to. to. You don't have to. It, unless it's Baby Driver. It's not Baby Driver. Um, <laughs> this one actually is super painful. It is all Star Wars movies after Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> is Take that cheating? That, Star Wars fans. Is that cheating? It might be cheating, but you know, on the other hand, it is so hard to split up any of those movies. Yeah. Like anytime I put favorite movie on doing a list of favorite movies, 
I never will pick one of the Star Wars movies. Right. It will be the whole original trilogy. Right. Right. Except I do think you maybe we maybe have violated that already in this podcast. <laughs> but I will put a little asterisk next to The Force Awakens. If the trilogy had gone excellent places, The Force Awakens would be a good movie. It is a good movie. It is a good movie. But you're right. The trilogy, you know, and by J.J. Abrams' own admission, they yes. didn't really have a plan. Yeah. Which is not his fault, necessarily. No, it's baffling they didn't have a plan. It is. It's it astonishing. Is mind-boggling. But then again, I can see how it would happen because this is a property that's a little different than a lot of the other ones. They didn't have a really, I think, solid plan for what are we going to do with Thor, right, in the MCU? Mm -hmm. And the third Thor movie is the strongest of the three yeah. by a large measure. This is because you can mostly make, in most series, even big series, independent films that work well together, and a good filmmaker can come on and build off of what's been given before mm -hmm. and then can turn it into a great sequel. Yeah, well, and also the nature of these more disconnected franchises like the MCU or James Bond or something like that, you only need to have a couple of touchstones. Yeah. And other than that, it can be a wholly original story with its own tone and its own feel. Star Wars, you can't do that. No, they didn't realize that they were making an epic fantasy series without the books, right, yeah. as a guide. <laughs> and it's like just trying to do that for Lord of the Rings. And seeing what happens in the third one just would not work. They're all one continuous story. And that's what people want from Star Wars is a trilogy mm -hmm. that's a continuous story. Now, I know that the prequel movies have gained some unironic love from modern audiences after the ironic sort of love yeah. of it became a thing on the Internet. And I think us being able to see the sequel trilogy and match the sequel trilogy kind of to the prequel trilogy, it has helped us see the things the prequel trilogy did well. Yes, being able to put what I would essentially consider to be two pieces of fan fiction up against each other and say, well, what did this one do right? What did this one do wrong? They both did a lot of things right and they both did a lot of things wrong. And those are inverted from one another. Yeah, they are. Mm -hmm. One thing that, and I think I said this in the live stream that we did, I was on a panel once where a guy described the prequel trilogy as a good story poorly told. Yeah. And I think not only is that very wise, but it makes for the very easy and, in my opinion, true flip side to say that the sequel trilogy is a poor story, very well told. Yes. It is exciting. It is thrilling. There's a lot of stuff about Rise of Skywalker that I felt was the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it had absolutely incredible indelible images yep like palpatine hanging from this insectile oh, thing it's in the beautiful. cave the scene where ray hands kylo a lightsaber or it's probably it's the other way around yeah. it's uh, the best moment yeah. i think in the sequel series han solo coming back mm -hmm. and like kylo's redemption worked yeah and me. i genuinely didn't mm -hmm. think they were going to pull it off yeah until the scene where it happened yeah and late in the movie, you know, where he's kind of redeemed and he's coming to help Ray, there's a scene where he's fighting bad guys and he gives a smirk that is such a perfect Harrison Ford smirk. And that is the moment where instantly, despite how much I've hated him, I can see, oh my gosh, this is Han Solo's kid. Yep. And I love him. 
instantly. But you look at the sequel trilogy and you've got a first movie that leans a little too hard on what came before. Mm -hmm. Would have been forgivable if it had all kind of come together. Then you have a second movie that is an artistic rejection of the film that came before it. Yes. Doing really incredible things and some terrible ones mixed. Some, mm -hmm. A lot of tens and a lot of ones in that movie. Yeah. But giving us a very unsatisfying pairing to the first one. And then a third movie that should have been five hours long and been a Disney Plus <laughs> show where to make it work, they had to cut out too much of the character stuff. Well, and when you say to make it work, what I would mean by that statement is it was an artistic rejection of the second movie. Yes. If it had been content to follow along where the second movie was headed, I think they could have done it in two and a half hours. Yeah. But because they were trying to retcon the entire second installment, mm -hmm. you know, the first half hour of Rise of Skywalker is a previously on section that you would find at the beginning of a TV episode. Yeah. Yeah. And but all for stuff that we haven't actually seen. Even the stuff I dislike in Rise of Skywalker... I have liked in book form before, like mm -hmm. bringing Palpatine back. Bringing Palpatine back has huge implications for the original trilogy, which I love. Yes. So to do it, you have to do it in a way that doesn't undermine that, and you can do that, but it's very hard to do, and you need a lot of space to tell that story. And so just I have not loved a Star Wars film since the original trilogy, and yeah. I know a lot of you listening are going to be like, oh, Brandon, you forgot Rogue One. I aggressively dislike Rogue One. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of the only Come people. On. I, no, I didn't really like it either. I didn't hate it as much as you did. Yeah. I'm the one who hates Solo, which right. a lot of people absolutely adore. And I think, like, it literally put me to sleep. I could count mm -hmm. on one hand the movies that have put me to sleep, and Solo's one of them. It was terrible. I do like The Mandalorian more than you do. Mm -hmm. But I said, you know, all the Star Wars movies. So that is my number one. It has been heart-wrenching for me as a storyteller to watch these things and see them uncanny validly get so <laughs> close to being really good and then failing. And because of that, most of them are very high fresh rating. The yeah. only one that's not, I think, fresh is Rise of Skywalker on Rotten Tomatoes. One of the eight. Is that one not fresh? No, I think it's like a 56% or oh, something like that. that's interesting. See, when yeah. I took my kids to see rise of skywalker and that was their favorite one of the three mm. like the lights were still coming up and my son was already like that's amazing i love that i don't care what anyone says that was incredible but i mean the way he phrased it implies he'd already heard some garbage about it so yep maybe there were more people who disliked it so there you go there's my list we may or may not do a dan list as you've been indicating this isn't something that you like as much as i like or an idea that appeals to you as much as it appeals to yeah me. i'm like abed i like liking things i think that is a good place to be and i think it might be a good podcast title Ooh.